0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, a spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and joined by Fraser Nelson and James Versaif. Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer went head-to-head in Prime Minister's questions with the Labour leader going on the offensive over private schools. But Starmer tried to make it personal. Here's what he had to say.
0: Mr Speaker, Winchester College has a rowing club, a rifle club, an extensive art collection... They charge over £45,000 a year in fees. Why did he hand them nearly £6 million of taxpayers' money this year in what
1: his levelling-up secretary calls egregious state support?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Prime Fraser, what did you make of Starmer's attack run? Well, this
2: is the attack which Keir Starmer has been longing to make ever since Rishi Sunak became prime minister. At first, there was a lot of comments, understandably so, about Britain's first BME prime minister. I hate that patronising language, but that was what was said. And all the time they were thinking, right, he might not be white, but he's absolutely rich. He's like the class enemy. So they've been itching to do what happened today, where you got Keir Starmer listing all the various things which Wiccan this school that Rishi Sunak went to and has got it's got a boating club, it's got an art gallery, etc. So, I mean most you no know, art gallery is pushing it a bit, but you know, your average private school with pretty good sporting facilities. That's kind of the aim of it. But he wanted to present this narrative of this Bride's head kind of vibe that Rishi Sunak comes from, and of course juxtaposed to Labour's plan to slap VAT on school fees. That would put all school fees up by 20% of a pretty devastating impact of a number of scholarships handed out on the number of the amount of support which independent schools give to state schools. It would be a hugely regressive step that would raise very little money for the sector and probably put the best part of 100,000 privately educated kids back into the state sector. But none of that really matters because it's a class war maneuver. So here we've got here Starmer, pointing his number one class war weapon at Rishi Sunak and pressing fire.
1: James, it's an interesting one, partly because we didn't hear so much of this under Jeremy Corbyn when it comes to specific attacks on Manchester. Now, of course, that's because Rishi Sunak wasn't the... Prime Minister at the point, even if he did have a prime position. But you also had Seamus Milne, the director of communications at the time for Jeremy Corbyn and James Schneider as work at his office, but both alumni of Winchester. You yourself are one. What did you make of the attack when you heard it?
0: I think that for Labour this is a way of emphasising Keir Starmer's trying to do this as the Tories defend privilege. I and I think you can see it is it is where Keir Starmer is kind of quite happy to kind of to play kind of very traditional left wing Labour tunes. I think the private schools have put themselves in a weaker position than they should have done because they have allowed fees have risen so rapidly in recent years. But I think Someone who came from Rishi Sunat's background now would find it far harder to afford to pay the fees than they did then. You know, if you were a GP and a pharmacist, you know, I, I think £45,000 a year is, is probably even more of a stretch than what the fees were. Well, James,
2: that's, that's for boarding, isn't it? Yeah. So, I
0: mean, I, I mean the, the thing is that we have still, but
2: back when you were at Winchester, back right now, you're probably speaking at 7% of the
0: of kids in private education.
2: So that hasn't changed that much. Has no, it? but I
0: mean, I mean, they have allowed fees to to rise in in a, in a way that that makes them kind of more vulnerable to attack. But I mean, I think I think it is, uh, as Fraser said, that this is Labour trying to find a way of saying that you know, oh look, he is rich and privileged, and, and that's what they're trying to attack.
2: What was the art collection like?
0: Well, I mean, there, there was an art school, and but in that kind of appalling way that when you're a teenager. There was, I think, a, a small art museum, but I don't think we didn't we didn't go and look at it as much as we should have done. Oh, wasted
2: money in your
1: parents' part. Eh?
0: You, uh, can't, you can't even remember any of these
1: pictures. What the shooting range?
0: I, I, I must admit, I don't. I don't. That might that might be post my time. Uh, what about the rowing club? Tell me you used that. I didn't row. It was far too much like kind of hard physical exercise for for someone of my my physique.
1: I'm not us dyspraxics. so... Um, but back back to the politics of this, Fraser, I was personally surprised by some of the language Keir Starmer used today because it's quite clear that the Daily Mail have been on campaign against uh, Labour's policy, so to add the VAT, and I think members of the leader's office have been pretty happy that the Mail have, yes, been criticising their policy, but giving it the publicity of the front page every day because they think it is a popular policy. They think it's something which um, will poll well, will bring people to them. Um, but one of the things loads around Keir Starmer have always said is they didn't want to, you know, do class war politics. And actually, if you do personal attacks on Rishi Sunak's wealth, they thought it could backfire because of aspiration. But yet, it felt today as though it was quite a clear pivot, the most drastic yet, in terms of just actually going for the direct attack rather than getting your backbenchers to ask about these things. Keir Starmer doing it himself. Do you think it does have a risk of backfiring or do you think they must have seen something which makes them think, actually, this is what's going to work for us?
2: Well, I do think the risk of that they run is that Gordon Brown tried this as well, tried to use the, the class war card against David Cameron and, and George Osborne, which resonates very well amongst Labour leadership circles. So what all your friends can say, oh, this is hugely popular, everybody hates private schools, etc. I'm not sure that is as true in the country. For example, let's look at sixth forms. 17% of sixth formers are privately educated. Now, this is obviously not the super-duper rich I mean, there are some schools like this Winchester and what have you, which is like 45 grand, et cetera. But the vast majority of private schools are way, way below that. So that's why seventeen percent of um, 18-year-olds are, are in them. So there's the risk that what, you, what you're what you taking aim at is a very small number of kind of elite schools that do charge sky-high rates and have art collections and what have you. But who you're actually hitting is a far wider range of relatively more modest six forms, and that Labour is seen as the party that's against aspiration. This is why, I mean, Tony Blair didn't. Tony Blair abolished the assisted places schemes. That was a really abominable policy, which kicks the ladder away from kids who couldn't be able to afford private schools that all of a sudden weren't, weren't allowed to go into them. And by the way, I think um, the, the independent schools, I agree with James, that they collectively are absolutely useless in defending themselves. They should be calculating, for example, how many scholarship places would go if this VAT were to be imposed. They should be listing the sort of things which they do right now because they're charities, but they would not be doing if they were forced to become profit-making businesses. And that's exactly what Keir Starmer would do, ironically. He'd be saying to them, no, I want you to stop to be seeing yourselves as institutions for the public good, and start seeing yourself, like any other business, there to make a profit. The moment they do that, you'll be once again kicking ladders away. From, away. Now, sure, you'll be hurting some well-paid people as well. They might be being paid a bit more for the school fees, probably not 20% more because the school will probably readjust their model. But the collateral damage here will be absolutely huge. But as you say, Katie, this is not a policy intended to make Britain a better or fairer country. It's not intended to help schools. It would leave state schools with a massive influx of tens of thousands of students who right now are being educated at private expense rather than on the state's expense. This is happening because Labour thinks that this is wildly popular in a bash the rich kind of way. But I do think there's a risk of backfiring because I think that in popular discourse it's always the the kind of the elite image the private school attract in actual fact they are far wider far more accessible by the way when I say accessible it we even you know when I was at school uh, by the way I should say that I went to a private school as well for the last five years albeit paid for by um, the Majesty's governments my dad was in the military in those days you got your fees paid it was great can I say but it was um I, found I got a fantastic education but in those days school fees were still out of reach of almost everybody. It's always been the case that to send your kids to private school has been all the way through. I mean, we're talking prep school, secondary school. A lot of families will save up for the last two years, the lower six and upper six, which is why we've got a model. But So it's always been, to a large extent, a popular target. But if this will backfire on Keir Starmer, if he's going to combine this with, for example, he's got his non-DOMs tax as well. That will raise almost no money, probably cost money. He doesn't really care because this is basically a whack the rich tax. These he's the populist labour measures. And though he's moved away from the Jeremy Corbyn model, he has still taken with him populist measures which Blair and Brown thought were too risque to adopt.
1: And just finally, James, at Prime Minister's questions, it wasn't only Keir Starmer going on the attack, you also had several Tory MPs. So you had one question from a Tory MP uh, asking whether Rishi Sunak thought that China posed a threat. That relates to the update of the Integrated Review, the fact that you would change the status of China. And then you also had Esther McVeigh, um, who's been critical of the autumn statement, complaining about the travel times for for those in her constituency. How much of a problem is the current uh, is this is is this sense that lots of Tory MPs are willing to speak up, voice their concerns for Rishi Sunak? It's quite clear that he's on a he's still in the charm offensive. I think last night I understand about 50 Tory MPs went over to Downing Street to watch the World Cup match. Some of them are rebellious by nature. So does this signal a wider problem for Rishi Sunak?
0: Well, I mean the situation of transport in the north with all of these trains being cancelled so regularly is a massive problem because it is a Having a huge effect on people's lives because you know if you if you use the trains to commute in the north, it, it is becoming in, almost impossible to rely on them, and that I think is something that I think. So someone who, who does use them said to me the other day, "It's like there's almost like a strike situation every day up there at the moment, in that so many of these trains are being cancelled so regularly, and I think that the government is going to have to make either going to have to take the franchise away." or is going to have to find some way of sorting the situation out, because I think it is having a really negative impact on the economy in the North and and on people's lives. I think we should both take half a step back, which is, I think, MPs complaining about their local rail services at PMQs. That is, I think, within the normal bounds of politics. I mean, the China stuff, I think, you know, trying to use the argument at PMQs, you know, deeds, not words, right, which is Newport, Wafer Fab... The takeover of that by a firm, which is ultimately owned by a Chinese company, has been blocked. The Confucius Institutes. And yet also, I think this is I think the other point that Richard C. United tries to make in his Lord Mayor speech is, ultimately, if you're going to reduce dependence on China, you've got to do that in concert. And I think that they are these policies are now roughly aligned with the US, Canada, Australia, other like-minded allies. And I think one of the things we haven't noticed this week, which I think is perhaps the most significant arguably, I think, the most significant geopolitical development of the week is the fact that the Japanese are now planning to spend 2% of their GDP on defence, breaking out of the, the unofficial 1% limit that they have set themselves in for decades now, since, since essentially since the war. They are now planning to spend 2% by 2027. That, I think, could be of huge importance. There's already a relatively close UK-Japanese defence relationship. You can see there the kind of alliance potential between the UK and Japan, in terms of the situation in the Indo Pacific.
1: Thank you, James. Thank you, Fraser. And he liked what you heard on this podcast, including the details of um, Winchester School for those who did not attend. Please do rate and review by the easiest method possible.